0: a key role in this story, because John is the first witness, the first kind of living witness to who Jesus is. And so John, John uh, starting in verse 19, comes on the scene, and they ask him if he's the Messiah. He says he's, he's not, but he knows the Messiah is here. Now, that was huge, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that here in a little bit later. But J- John the Baptist says that Jesus is the Messiah. He says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. He, he witnesses the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus to anoint um, Jesus. So in John chapter 1, you have Jesus and the Father are one. You have the Holy Spirit anointing Jesus for his ministry. You have this Trinitarian, for those of you who know that word, this Trinitarian text that has all three in one, all three represented here in John 1. It's huge. And John is, again, over and over trying to point to and, and, and point out the, the identity of Jesus. And then in the verses right before our section, Andrew is the first person that Jesus kind of calls in John's letter. And Jesus says, come and follow me, come and see. And, and, and Andrew follows. And he goes to Peter, his brother, and, and says, I found the Messiah. So, so right there, Andrew would be the third person. You have John the disciple writing, you have John the Baptist, and now Andrew saying he's the Messiah to Peter, and Peter comes, and then we get to our verses in verse 30, uh, 43. Now, before we jump into that, I want you to be looking for yourself in the story, because I, th- I believe that John wrote this so that you and I would find ourselves in the story. I want you to be looking for yourself in the story, and then I want you to, to recognize that at, by the time we're done, Jesus is going to offer you an invitation and you will have an, op- an opportunity to, to accept or to reject. All right? Here we go. Verse 43. In fact, the first couple verses here. In John 1. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, here's the fourth person to confess who Jesus is in, in this letter. And Philip says he is the Messiah. He is the one that Moses and the prophets have been telling us about. And he points to his, history, his, his heritage, Joseph's son, and his, and his location where he grew up. He is a real person. You remember Joseph. That's his son. He's from Nazareth, right down the road. He's a real person. And then Nathaniel's response is why we picked this story. It's why we picked this story to talk about Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus. Look at what he says next. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Hmm. If, If you and I heard that Jesus was here, someone said, hey, Jesus is here. He's at the student union. You and I wouldn't. Because of we know who Jesus is, because we know what, what, what all that means, and if we believe this person, we wouldn't be like, ah, come on, why would he be in the Union? Who would go to the Union? Baha Fresh is in the Union. Why would he go there? Um, so you have, you have this, this interesting moment like, come on, Nathaniel, it's Jesus. But you have to understand that something's going on here. I don't think Nathaniel has this statement because you know, he grew up in Cana, which is a, another city down the street, and, and they were rivals in, in, in their high school football team, and he just doesn't like anybody from that. I don't think it's that at all. I think something bigger is going on. I think, I think Nathaniel is skeptical. And I think there's a couple reasons why he's skeptical. Nathaniel and everyone living at that time had reason to be skeptical because they had heard others claim to be the Messiah. And through experience and reason and reality, they proved that they weren't. And so their hopes had been dashed many times before. You have to understand, for a thousand years, actually a thousand years before is when David reigned. Okay, David was the king of Israel. It was the glory days of Israel. And you fast forward a couple generations and all of a sudden the two kingdoms are split. They go into exile because they rebelled. Israel rebelled over and over and over Again, And God warned them for hundreds of years and finally said, all right, I'm going to give you over to your enemies so that you will turn back to me. And so for hundreds of years, probably seven, 800 years, the people of Israel have been calling out to God, how long, O oh Lord? How long? They, 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 they cried out in, in desperation and in faith, aching for God to return to save them. For the Messiah to come, it was a big deal. So, well, add you, add you add on to that, there was about 400 years of silence, they believe. From Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, until John the Baptist's coming, there was about 400 years where God didn't speak through anyone. And so they were like, God, where are you? Are you here? Are you, are you with us? Are you coming back? And so... There was reason to doubt that he was here. But I think the real question is, not that he was skeptical, but how was he skeptical? How was he skeptical? Was he skeptical with with honesty? Was he just being honest, but lacked humility because he was afraid of what it might mean? Or was he skeptical with an honesty that was humble? and willing to follow God at any cost? Was he skeptical in a way that just wanted to see what he wanted to see, or was he skeptical in a way that truly wanted to see what God wanted him to see? And so listen to to Philip's response. Philip doesn't answer his question. He just says, come and see. Come and see. In fact, I wish I had time to get into this. This word "see," see, seen or saw. Appears thirteen different times in John one, starting in verse eighteen through the end. I think it's probably one of the most important words in this chapter because John's intent from the very beginning is to help people see Jesus. In fact, the the, the second, well, the first two things that Jesus um, says in these verses, if you're if you have a Bible that has red letters, in verse thirty eight. Jesus asks some disciples who came to look for him, what are you looking for? And then he says, come and you'll see. Um, uh, Andrew, right before this section, Andrew, he says to Peter, come and see. uh, Philip goes to Nathanael and says, come and see. There's something about seeing that is important here, John, the the, the writer, masterfully introduces the idea of seeing God in verse 18 and then spends the rest of the chapter and really the rest of of John pointing to the identity of Jesus, that he is God and that he is the light of the world come in to illuminate who God is. And so uh, even in our text today, you see Jesus will say, um, I saw you. He'll say, you will see greater things than these. You will see heaven open up to Jesus. Seeing is everything. Because Jesus knows that seeing leads to believing and believing leads to living. And at the heart of this story is an invitation to see Jesus. So, verse 47. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, "Here." truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Now, what an interesting thing to say to Nathanael. Why Why would he do this? Why would he make this statement that he is um, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit? What does he mean by that? The word deceit, is connected to the same word used to describe Jacob in the Old Testament. If, if you know the story of Jacob, so you have Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons, Esau, firstborn, and Jacob. And Jacob, he, he came out of the womb deceiving. And he, he spent his life, his early years, deceiving. In fact, he deceived his, his father to get his older brother's birthright, And so Jacob lived up to his name. And then later on in the story, God changed his name to Israel because he wrestled with God. The word Israel uh, means one who wrestles with God, one who clings to God, or one who sees God. So what Jesus is is saying about Nathanael is, is he showing that, that Nathanael is one who wrestles with God, who clings to God, who wants to see God. And Jesus is affirming this. So he says, I saw and I knew. And, and, and we have to ask, well, how does he know? Like, how, what is it about this fig tree? We don't, we don't know anything about this fig tree. But apparently, because of Nathanael's reaction, this was some form, of, some form of a miracle because there's no way Jesus would have been able to see him. And we know that because of what Nathaniel says. Listen to what he says in verse 49. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, Nathaniel, I believe, demonstrates the kind of skepticism um, that, that, we, that we see here, and he instantly confesses Jesus to be God and king. Now, Nathanael would be the fifth person in this this book so far to bear witness to the the identity of Jesus. Um, And he adds to this claim. Lots of names are given in John 1. Lots of names um, that I'll I'll, I'll mention later. But he adds to this one, king of Israel. That's kind of an interesting word. Why? Well, because the Messiah, the promised one, he was going to come. And he was going to set them free, and he was going to lead them to glory. And they all knew it, and they were excited about it. And so everything that Nathaniel is saying is true, but there is something that's off. Um, he doesn't fully see Jesus. It's, it's kind of like any math majors in here. How many of you are math majors? We have no math majors. That's no surprise. I am not. have never been a math anything. Um, Okay, what's the highest level of math somebody's taking here? Diffy Q, right? I know the the lingo. (laughs) Um, So, imagine a first grader coming up to you, and you're talking about your your class, and they're like, yeah, I know math, too. Yeah, I know math, too. It's like, yeah, yeah, you do know math. One plus one is math. You're right. And I'm not even going to pretend to give something. I'm not even going to finish the sentence of what you would be doing. I don't even know. All I know is it's not the same. It's the same, but it's not the same. That's what's happening here. Listen to Jesus' response in verse 50. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What? So I I, I really do believe that 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 should cause us to go, whoa, that's not what I expected. I think that's why the the way in which John wrote this. I think what we we should expect Jesus to say is, that's right, Nathaniel. You got it. You nailed it. You get it. He gets it. Nobody else, but he gets it. And Jesus doesn't give him that. It's almost like Jesus kind of rebukes him while encouraging him at the same time. It's kind of like a relationship with Jim Johnson. Um, <laughs> it's like, I think that was encouraging. It kind of stung, but I think it was encouraging. Um, so, so Jesus says to him, his response says, it's almost like he's saying, you, you were so quick to confess me as God and king because I performed a miracle? Nathaniel, you... You think you see me, but you really don't see me. I'm not God and king. This is key. I'm not God and king because you had a cool experience with me. So if you've ever been quick to believe something because of your experience, then you can relate to Nathaniel. I know I can. So Jesus says something weird even after that. He says something about heaven and about asc- uh, angels ascending and descending. What is that about? Well, he's already introduced Jacob into the story. This, this points to a story back in Genesis 28. We don't have time to turn there. I wish we did. Write, write, those, write that down. Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17. Here, I'll give you the synopsis. Jacob is now got the birthright. He's got the blessing. He's going to find a wife. He's traveling for a long way. He's tired. He lays down. He has it. He falls asleep, and he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees these, this staircase or this ladder. And he sees angels ascending and descending, ascending and descending. Um, and he sees Yahweh standing there right in his presence. And Yahweh says things like, I am with you, and I'm going with you. And I'm going to bless you, and every nation is going to be blessed under you, and I'm going to give you the land that that I promised your your forefathers. And and then Jacob wakes up, and Jacob says, Surely I have been in the presence of God, and I didn't even know it. And, And Jesus is alluding to that very same idea. Then he says, in the last three words of this verse, of this chapter, he says, Son of man, Son of man. Um, if you have a Bible, I would turn to Jan- Daniel chapter seven. It's on the screen. Daniel seven. I, I think every time you see the phrase "son of man" in the New Testament, in the Gospels, I think you should write Dan seven, and then go to Daniel seven in verses thirteen and fourteen. You put a box around those those verses. They're they're probably indented like a little, because these are key verses. These are. This is a key idea for John. Daniel seven thirteen and fourteen, Daniel is having another dream, having a dream, a vision, and he sees one. He calls the Son of Man, who comes before the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days would be God the Father, and and God gives him dominion and rule and authority over all the nations. And, and, he's, and he says, you will, you will be king of this kingdom, and your rule and reign, your kingdom, will never end. That's Daniel 7. That's who Jesus himself is claiming to be. So here's the point. In, in, this, in these last two verses, you have, you have John the disciple perf- confessing who Jesus is. You have John the Baptist confessing. You have Andrew, and you have Philip, and Nathaniel now, and now you finally have Jesus himself saying, "Nathaniel, you're right. One plus one is two. But let me tell you, I am God and king more than you could fathom. In fact, I I have been God and king for all of eternity. Jesus is making a divine claim here that we can't just go, oh, that's nice. He was a good teacher. He's either... It's either true, he's either lying, or he's he's flat out crazy. The point is, Jesus claims it himself. And John is proclaiming it through his writing. Jesus is inviting Nathanael and the other disciples and us to see him for who he is. Not Not to come with our preconceived ideas, not to believe so quickly, but to come and see, to follow him. Not with blind faith based on experiencing cool miracles or cool experiences, but with honest humility, willing to follow him at whatever the cost. And that is the point of this story, this encounter with Nathaniel. So we're going to take a little break, and then I'm going to come back and reflect uh, a few things to reflect on from this story. So we'll uh, take a break, stand up, stretch, we'll hit the lights. There's restroom there. Go high five Alec or somebody else. All right, let's start with a couple stories. Reel this in a little bit. Um, So there's a couple girls that come to mind when I think about this story. So these two girls, one was named Gabby, and one is named, they're both still alive. So one is named Gabby, and one is named Miranda. This is about four or five years ago. And they both um, were involved in the table, they both came up and asked a question after a Thursday night talk. Now, a little bit about Gabby. Gabby was this is her junior senior year. Her friend, her best friends, were really involved and, and kind of brought her to everything. She was in a table group. She was pretty connected. I wouldn't say she was at everything, but she was pretty connected. And um, and then Miranda was a freshman that year. She had come for that whole first semester, and it was at some point in the middle of the second semester is when she came and asked me this question. But Miranda. She came with a friend, she kind of sat in the back, she didn't really get involved, she wasn't really um, all that in, and, and nobody really got, got a chance to get to know her, because she would come in and, and leave right away. Um, but both of them came up and asked me a question, and, and both of them had the same look on their face, that I knew it was important. Have you ever got a phone call from a friend, and they say your name, and you know instantly, like, oh, this is serious, what's wrong, you know? It was a little bit of that. And then every once in a while, I mean, that happens. I mean, we talk about real things and good things and hard things and important things. And so once in a while, Drew and I, after teaching, we'll get somebody to come up and ask us a really important question. And it was both of these moments for me, as I, as I reflect on them, was like, okay, this is a big moment for them. This is, some, this is important. And I always freak out a little bit um, because, I don't know, it feels like a lot of pressure. Whatever they're going to ask me. I hope I have an answer. Um, Lord, please help me. With Gabby, the question was centered around Genesis. Now, we, we had been teaching Genesis a few years ago, and we had taught through Genesis 1 through 3. And, uh, man, uh, we, we actually have that on our podcast that, that you can go back and listen to if you're curious about that and how it intersects with, with science and, and all of that. And so we were getting into that and talking through that and learned a lot. Learned a lot, actually, as I was teaching that. Um, But her question came up to me, and and maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't. I don't want to open up a can of worms for you, but her question was, I believe, her question was, how does all of humanity come from one couple? Like, how does that work? Because I'm in genetics, or I'm in biology, or I'm in these classes, and I don't see how that works. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how that works. I don't have a good answer. Now, I know of a couple resources that do, and I pointed to these resources, and I can tell you about them later if you want. But I remember thinking, that's what you need to read. You need to go check out these books. Um, they're they're, they're going to answer your question way better than I. I could try, but I don't know it that well, and so you need to go there. Um, but I remember when she, when that, when she walked away, and, and she said a few other things, and I, I knew, I, I just had this sense that, I didn't answer her question very well. And I don't know if I could have honestly. I, I, I remember thinking, I don't think any answer I gave her would have sufficed. The The way in which she came up and asked was more of wanting to try and stump me. Um, and she did. <laughs> she succeeded. I, I, I couldn't really give, it, give her the answer that she needed. And and I just remember thinking about that. I thought about that for, for a long time. I think about that every time I think of her and her friends, honestly, because that was the last time I saw her at the table. Um, I, I've seen her a couple of the times at a wedding and here and there, but um, never saw her again. Now, I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm not saying anything about it. I just know I had, had this sense that she was skeptical but really wasn't wanting to find an answer. Um, Miranda came up and asked a question. We were in a relationship series, and we were we were stepping on some toes. I don't know, maybe if you were here this last semester, we did a little relationship series. We do that every few years, and I don't know if you felt like we were stepping on, on your toes. We were, never try to, but we, we felt like sometimes, I mean, this is important. Um, uh, yeah, so I remember saying something along the lines of, you know, the kind of person you want to date and the kind of you know, relationship you want to have, and if you don't have that kind of relationship, you really need to consider ending it. And same thing, she came up, haven't really talked to her much, and her question was, do you have to marry a Christian? Are you saying you have to marry a Christian? And the same thing, it was like, oh, this is big. This is serious for her. This means a lot to her. And and so we, we talked about it, and I kind of explained, and I tried, okay, what's going on? And, and turns out she'd had a long relationship with a boy and she was serious and they were serious, but he was not a Christian and she was. And she was asking a bigger question. And in fact, if you hold up the two questions, it's like, I mean, the Genesis question, I mean, that's an interesting question, but that doesn't affect my life a whole lot. Maybe, I mean, for some it it really does, but hers, it, it definitely affected her life. But I remember thinking after we left that conversation, she is trying to listen to God here. Like, this is big time. Come to find out, she had um, called up Rachel Vincent, who was on staff at the time, and wanted to meet. They met several times. They talked through everything, and she ended up breaking it off with this guy. And actually, she ended up marrying a guy within our ministry. Um, You're welcome. No. um, No, that's not the point. But... Um, but I, I, I remember leaving that conversation going, something bigger is going on here. This isn't just about this isn't just about a, a boy and, and you know, theoretically do you have to marry a Christian? This wasn't that. It was like, is God telling me something? And her and through her discernment, he was. And, and, I, and I hold those two examples up because those, those are good examples for me in my life when I think about the kinds of, kinds of questions I have and the, and, the, and the kind of skepticism I can come to, to God with or to the Bible with, and, and which one I want to be. And so I want to talk about, uh, I want to reflect on this story a little bit and point out a few things that I think will help us kind of process what happened because both, both these girls in the story, uh, in, in that story, had questions and nothing wrong with questions. Both were skeptical. Um, um, both were being honest, and and honesty is important, but but one, one was willing to recognize that God had wanted something for for her. So here's the first point. I have three. Okay, here's the first one. It should be on the screen. Jesus is not only inviting you to see him, but he already sees you. So this is true of Nathaniel. I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Long before you heard about me, I, I saw and knew about you. L- look at this verse on the screen. It's Hebrews 4.13. This, this verse may scare you or excite you. Here it is. No creature is hidden from, from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account that's a reality that that the Bible portrays about who God is, that he sees all things, that he knows all things, that there's nothing we can hide from him And, and so I love this idea that not only is Jesus inviting you to come and see him but he already sees you which means a few things, he knows how you feel he knows what you're going through, he knows whether you're willing to really see him or not, he knows if you're searching for him, he knows if you're not, Jesus is the initiator in this, Jesus is the initiator, and he, he asks us to just simply come and see and to follow. And He's inviting you to. And he's, and he's wanting to know are you willing to accept this invitation? And the, and the thing about this invitation is what, what Jesus is trying to point out to Nathaniel in this story is Nathaniel, you, you know me. One plus one, you got it. But there's so much more. And in fact, we will spend all of eternity finding out more and more and more about who Jesus is. Here's the second thing. So the first one, first one, let me say it again. Jesus is not only inviting you to see him, but he already sees you and he knows you. Um, because he sees and knows you, he can tell when, you're honest, when your honesty has humility. Jesus can tell, God can tell, when our honesty comes with humility. Um, I think Jesus loves our honesty, but I don't think that's all he wants from us. He wants us to be willing to see and to believe, and to believe and, and live. Honesty, honesty has been elevated big time, and that's a, that's a good thing. Honesty is a, is a great thing. It is not everything. And I, I have seen, Drew and I have talked about this many times over the last 10 years as we've been doing this. He's been doing this longer, 15 years. We've seen this increasing thing that um, I'm just being honest, I'm just being vulnerable, I'm just being honest. And, and that, that idea often means I'm being honest and that's good enough. And I'm just being honest about my sin. I'm just being honest, I hate that dude. I'm just being honest, I wish she would die. I'm just being honest. It's like, okay, um, anything else you want to add? Uh, and so, the, so honesty isn't the only thing. It is a great thing. It is not the only thing. Now, I'm not a prophet by any sense, but I believe, based on, I I could argue, 300 years of history and, and, and ideas in philosophy that have influenced our thinking and psychology and all of it, that for the rest of your life, you and I are going to battle, we are going to battle this idea that my honesty or my emotions or how I feel is what I need to follow. We have this tendency, everything on the outside is, is, is bad and, and I just need to look inward to find significance and meaning. And that is going to be a, a temptation of this generation and, and our future generations to come more and more and more. L- listen to what Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Now, um, Jeremiah also talks about receiving a new heart. So that's possible for sure. But look at verse 10. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Listen to this proverb, Proverb 19, 21. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. So... Um, Maybe you've heard me say this. Disney has been telling us for years to follow your heart. And Disney has been lying to you. Um, Now, anyone who says, don't follow your heart, don't listen to your feelings, just just do what the Bible says, is not being helpful at all. I don't think that's the case. But just just because we feel something is true or experience something that is amazing, doesn't make it true. That's what Jesus is pointing out to Nathaniel. Don't believe I'm God and king because you saw a miracle. <laughs> there's so much more to believing in me, Jesus says. And just because we feel something isn't true doesn't mean it's untrue. There's, there's, there's a place for it. Our feelings and our emotions are important and they indicate something. They are indicators. It's very helpful information, it's very helpful to, to, to recognize those things and, and how our emotions are, and how we're, but they're not in charge. And Jesus says, I want you to trust me. I want you to not just be honest, but be honest with a humility that's, that is willing to admit if you're wrong, that is willing to follow at, at any cost, that is willing to believe and trust. Here's the third point that I get from this story is that we need to have an objective and subjective reasons to believe in Jesus. What do I mean by objective reasons and subjective reasons? Um, I have been like Nathaniel here many, many times. I have been very eager to believe something because of, some, of an experience I've had. I've been to, uh, uh, we, we talk about the camp thing, the camp high or you know, the last night of camp when the band plays this amazing song, they played hill, that, that, that hill song that I love. And, and, you know, the speaker makes this passionate plea and, and people go forward and accept Christ, and it's amazing. And there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that. Um, and, 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 it's, and it's almost like, amen, praise the Lord, and we'll see in 10 years how this plays out. Um, is, is kind of where my mind goes. But I've been there. I've been the kid that's walked forward. I've been the, kid, I've been the man, I've been the grown man on a, on a men's retreat that's making these declarations and these promises and then get back home to reality and realize, I don't know if I was, I think I wanted to want to do that more than I actually wanted to do that. So I understand it. The dark side of living by experience only is, is that when you really need reasons, not just some great moment you had three years ago, but you really need something else. That's when you need some objective reasons to believe. And that's, I believe, what Jesus is getting at with this story. When he points back to some b- bigger, deeper rea- realities about who he is from the Old Testament and how he's been the long awaited Messiah. He is God and he is king, he's the son of man. In fact, um, I love John 1. Like I said, there's several names mentioned. He is the Word. He's the Word of God. He is the Light of God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the King of Israel, and the Son of Man. And each of those names, if you trace them back to their roots and kind of their, their, their birth in the Old Testament and what they mean, they are dripping with rich theological reason and reality. So, I love this this line. Um, One of the commentators said, being a follower of Jesus does not mean thoughtlessly following a person named Jesus. It does not mean having an experience that is void of theological content. It involves both heart and mind, being enraptured by who Jesus is, and having a theological understanding of of who he is. So Nathanael wasn't, wasn't going to believe in Jesus simply because Philip said to, which is great. And, and I believe we should not believe in Jesus because our friends tell us we should, or, or our parents tell us we should. And Jesus warns him, don't just simply believe because you had this great experience, but instead Jesus is insisting that he, that he knows that he's standing in the presence of God and that he's inviting him to follow him to, to come and see, to realize that he 's going to see so many more greater things, you just have to be willing to see it, so that comes to our invitation um, and I guess as the band is is coming up to play we're we 're going to spend some time in worship tonight uh, to close our time out but as as they 're coming i 'd love for you to reflect on um, which of these do you come from? Do you tend to to have um, more of the the emotional experience that you that you lean on, and you lack maybe some some richer theological ideas that that bring weight to it, or do you tend to kind of think in in the logical sense and, and know the facts about Jesus, but but really lack? being enraptured by who he is, falling in love with him. Um, Which of these do you come from? Take, Take a moment or two as they're getting set up to reflect on that, and then I will pray and we will sing.